There we go. False advertising. We're all familiar with it. We know what it looks like. We've been sometimes duped by it. Like this thing, it says push button. Uh, guys, just take over. Oh, there we go. Yeah, do you believe that? John does, yeah. In only minutes. How about this one? The only thing miraculous about that is the claim. You know, there's no truth in that. It's a miracle cure. How about this? This is kind of a slight deception, right? It was $3 and now there's 4 for 12 What do you reckon? Bargain. I love this one. This is just, this is just plain deception. Animal balloons, dog, tiger. Okay. What do we want to talk about today is deceptive advertising. And we need to realize, although we are very tolerant of it, we understand it. It's just part of retail business. The bigger the hype, the bigger the profit. But God is not in that business. He doesn't tolerate spiritual deception. He doesn't tolerate his people deceiving others, himself, or themselves. In fact, he doesn't tolerate a person's deception regarding their spiritual condition. We're going to look at a couple of examples today as we read and unpack chapter 11 in the book of Mark. Now we're not going to do the triumphal entry. Right? Everybody's well aware of what that's about. We're going to have a look at something a little different and Ty's going to come up and read the first part for us. Thanks, Ty. So the next day, as they were leaving Bethany, Jesus was hungry. Seeing in the distance a fig tree and leaf, he went to find out if it had any fruit. When he reached it, he found nothing but leaves, because it was not the season for figs. Then he said to the tree, May no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard him say it. In the morning, as they went along, they saw the fig tree withered from the roots. Peter remembered and said to Jesus, Rabbi, look, the fig tree you cursed has withered. Have faith in God, Jesus answered. Truly I tell you, if anyone says to this mountain, Go, throw yourself into the sea, and does not doubt in their heart, but believes that what they said will happen, it will be done for them. Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, Believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. And when you stand praying, and if you hold anything against anyone, forgive them, so that your Father in heaven may forgive you your sins. 
Thanks, Ty. Well, you know the story. The day after that triumphal entry, Jesus has been back in Bethany, probably with Martha and Mary and Lazarus, although you think about it, he's hungry, and I'm sure if he stayed with them, he'd had a big breakfast, but at any rate, he's on his way down and he starts to feel hungry and he notices this fig tree and it's got leaves which is a little unusual for this time of the year although in this climate on the south side of the hill it wasn't uncommon for these fig trees to bear fruit little fruit not the big one that comes at the end of the season but little ones and so he approaches the tree you know the story when he gets there he finds that the tree with its leaves with all the promise of fruit has none now throughout the old testament the fig tree and the vine were always representative of the nation of Israel. And so what we have here is an image of the nation of Israel bearing no fruit. People say, well, Jesus really... This is unusual for him. He cursed a tree because it didn't have fruit when it wasn't in season. Poor tree. This is a destructive event in Jesus' life. How could this be? Well, please stick with me because I don't think the tree was cursed because it was barren. It was cursed because it was all show and no substance. I want you to think about that. And this is what it is. Jesus cursed the fig tree as an object lesson of God's judgment on Israel's spiritual deception. Here's this tree waving its leaves, giving the appearance of fruit. Jesus goes up and covers that behind this waving of the leaves, this show of fruitfulness, there's no leaves. There's no fruit. For generations... The nation of Israel had been outwardly spiritual, very religious, but having no living faith. You know the history of God's messengers to Israel. You know that the majority of the prophets were either killed, ignored, banished, 
the people were not ready to receive God's word. They had all the trimmings, all the waving of the leaves, but there was no real life. And this was a precursor to what was going to happen. This was a precursor of God's judgment on the nation of Israel for having all show and no substance. And I think there's something here that we need to remember. When one lives a life of deception, the longer one is involved in deceiving others, the more one becomes self-deceived. You start to believe your own advertising. You start to believe those things that you're saying about yourself or about the product you're pushing. And so deception becomes self-deception. And that's what's happened to the nation of Israel. They'd spent... I was going to say decades, centuries, millennia, claiming to be God's people but not demonstrating the living faith that they were supposed to have. They were God's chosen people. They had a calling to be a beacon to the nations. They were told to have their faith in the one true God. But what had they done? They'd intermarried. They'd taken new gods into their lives while still maintaining this appearance of being God's people. Outwardly spiritual, very religious, but spiritually dead. They've been waving green leaves for centuries but failing to produce anything like righteous living which is supposed to be the fruit. Now we can say, well, that's good. That's the nation of Israel back in Jesus' time. But I'm going to read you a passage that speaks directly to you and I. Jesus picked up this picture of Israel and he applied it to himself in John chapter 15. Let me read it to you. Verse 5, he says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you'll bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. If you don't remain in me, you're like a branch that's thrown away, withers and dies and is picked up and thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it'll be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing that you are my disciples. 
And to whom did he, meet, did he speak these words? It wasn't to the nation of Israel. It was to those who came and said they were followers of him, his people. He's saying the same thing that he'd said to the nation of Israel to those that said they were following him. Jesus warned those who believed that they were belonging or connected to him that they better be sure that when he comes and lifts those waving leaves that he finds a righteous life or a life dedicated to him. There's a danger that we may be those people who claim to be followers of Jesus but have only fudged the walk and the talk. We may display all the signs of a spiritual life. We may have daily Bible readings. We may serve in the, in the congregation. But we may be under the belief that being a Christian is something you inherit. My parents, my grandparents have always been believers. And you've learned how to wave the leaves. And you can name those sorts of leaves, whether they be church service, you know, giving to the church, serving outside in amongst the community, whatever it is, if it's not done with the heart set towards serving God, but serving self, then we have to heed that warning. This event is not only an object lesson for the nation of Israel, it's an object lesson for us, those who claim to follow Jesus. Do we display just religious leaf waving or do we really have the life of the spirit living through us have we really surrendered ourself to his life accepting what he did for us when he died on the cross as a substitute for our death are we claiming that for ourselves or is that just for someone else? And we're depending on waving of leaves. But one day Jesus is going to come and look behind the leaf and check to see what's there. He surrendered himself in obedience to the Father and died on the cross for us and he demands the same for us. Take up our cross and follow him. And he rounds off that little discourse with a fascinating little conversation when he talks about the withered roots of that tree. Remember they come back the next morning and the tree has just withered. And he contrasts that withered tree that has died from the roots up with those who have a true faith, who can move mountains, who can do amazing things. 
because they don't have a faith that's dead. They have a faith in a living God who gives them the same power that the Father gave Jesus to do his miracles. He's saying, live in the power that God has given you. You'll do amazing things. Don't be like this tree who is depending on a dead root. Now, a lot of you farmers, you know what happens if you poison the roots. The tree dies. There's no fruit. But if you have a tree that's live and it's living and you're looking after it, it's going to bear much fruit. And this is the contrast. The nation of Israel that was depending on a dead root and those that are following Jesus that have a living root that can produce fruit. So we need to heed ourselves. We need to heed this object lesson. Are we depending on something that's dead and dying? Our own particular righteousness which doesn't exist? Or are we depending upon the living Christ? Ty, you want to come up and read this next section for us? On reaching Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple courts and began driving out those who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves, and he would not allow anyone to carry merchandise through the temple courts. And as he taught them, he said, It is not written... Oh, is it not written, my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a den of robins, uh, robbers. <laughs> Sorry. The chief priests and the teachers of the law heard this and began looking for a way to kill him, for they feared him, because the whole crowd was amazed at his teaching. When evening came, Jesus and his disciples went out of the city. Jesus had been in town the day before after that triumphal entry and he'd gone to the temple says that he looked around it was full of people it was crowded it was getting late so he went back to Bethany but now he's come back he's passed the tree and he's cursed it and now he's come into the temple this was a temple in process the original Solomon's temple it was built about 900 BC it had been destroyed. There had been a small temple rebuilt when Zerubbabel came back from captivity and they'd started to... But it was nothing like the original. And now King Herod had started to add to that temple that Zerubbabel built. And so he'd started this about 20 B.C., and now, 50 years later, a different Herod... Remember, Herod is just like the house of Windsor. Herod's was a name, the Herodians. So you had Herod the Great, Herod Antipas. So whenever you read in, Herod, in the Scriptures, you've got to be careful which one you read. But now, this temple is almost done. Lasted about 40 years after this event, and it was wiped out. But he comes to the temple 
Now he'd been there before, if you read John, and he'd walked through and he made a whip and he'd whipped out these people. But weeks later it was all back. But what was going on here was something interesting. They had commercialized worship. They had created a system where if you wanted to get close to God, you had to do it their way. They had minted specific coinage. So if you wanted to come and pay your, pay your temple tax, you had to go and change your dollars for temple money. Or if you wanted to have a sacrifice for your sins, you either had to bring a big animal, a calf, or a dove if you didn't have money. But the priest could say, no, that's not acceptable. You have to buy one of ours. And you'd have to go and exchange your money for the temple money, go buy one of their sanctified animals to bring about the sacrifice. It was a wrought from the top to bottom. And this was going on. There were tables where you could exchange money there were animals in the court of the Gentiles. And that's significant. This was supposed to be a place where all people could come and worship God, but the Gentiles couldn't get in. This was a marketplace. And so Jesus turns up. And he goes through this temple and he overturns the tables and he tells them to get out and he pushes them away. He cleansed the temple. Now this was the second time he'd done it. And they were not too happy about it. It infuriated the chief priests because this was why they were making money. And they sought how they might destroy him. They wanted to stamp out his name from history. They wanted to eradicate Jesus from the memory of the people because their authority and their self-interests were threatened. Sound familiar? It's what's happening today, folks, throughout Western civilization, the name of Jesus is becoming just a curse word and it's a threat because Jesus isn't all-inclusive in their mind. He's exclusive. I am the only way. That doesn't go down well with a postmodern society. Nothing's changed. The name of Jesus is still an offensive word to people and to stand as a follower of Jesus, puts you in a very small minority. But he told us it would be. Narrow is the way to salvation. Broad is the way to judgment. So we're in somewhat the same position. But these people, these high priests, the scribes, for generations they had been hiding the truth under self-interest. There are generations of disobedience. The result was a lost and deceitful 
nation. Was it the final straw that led them to bring Jesus to the cross? Or was it just part of God's unfolding plan? Nothing catches God by surprise because as we're told in the Psalms, every day is planned before it happens. So we can't be too despondent because we know that when he went to the cross, he rose again. And he did so that we might experience new life and eternity with him. So what's our challenge for today? See if I can. Good, thanks guys. Our challenge is that we ask the Holy Spirit to examine us to see if we've been waving deceitful leaves and so doing jeopardise our relationship with the Lord. Think about that. If today you've been hiding behind the leaves of religiosity or because your family was Christians or somewhere in your past you thought this would be really good, I'll go along to youth group because there's girls there or whatever. That was a smile. Um, you know, you have to think, is the Holy Spirit challenging you today that you need to repent of this? Seek forgiveness and commit yourself to follow Jesus, the living vine, the living branch or the living tree so that the life we're living is going to glorify the Father and not just be self-deceiving because of our own self-interest. He died for us to be free from the condemnation that we deserve. We're sinful. But we can be alive. We can jump in that wheelbarrow and we can experience the joy and the best times of our lives because he is the God who created us for himself and we can live fruitful lives for his kingdom. So there's object lessons here. Jesus wasn't condemning a tree just because it wasn't bearing fruit, but it was an object lesson that said, this is the nation of Israel. It's all show and no substance. We've got to be careful that our lives aren't show and all substance. And then he goes into the temple and he cleanses it because they've degraded worship. They've degraded their God. And we need to be careful that in our lives, the words we say, the things we do, do not degrade the Christ that we are supposedly worshipping. If any of that is true, he says, come to me, I will take care of you. I will share your burden. I will remove your sins. I died for you because I love you. He's a forgiving God. He's not a destroying God. That's an object lesson. 
So join me in prayer. Father, thank you that you included this rather interesting diversion in your scriptures and we see Jesus doing something out of character. But when we look closer, we see that he's using this as a teachable moment. It's an object lesson. Help us to, <coughs> to see that it's applicable to us as much as it was to those disciples. And may we really see what he said when he says, I am the true vine, you're the branches, you, apart from me you can do nothing. But if we think we're connected to the vine and we're just fooling ourselves, we're being self-deceptive, we're running the risk of being gathered up and put into the fire. Father, cleanse us through your spirit. Bring us to yourself. Enable us to live a life that glorifies you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.